Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good? You awake? Yeah, so you guys know that, that Pastor Briscoe's prayer about Applebee's, that was a confessional right, right then. That was, a, that was him sharing his heart with, with all of us. But uh, yeah, my name is Dan Renault, and uh, man, it's a, a pleasure and honor to be here with you guys in this manner. Um, and I, I have learned so much and garnered so much from my time coming to DiscipleConf uh, year after year, and, and so... Uh, I'm thankful to this church. I'm thankful to the leadership and for the fellowship that we have um, every year. It's a great time, and so uh, and honored to be here in this this role, kind of speaking about what God has done in, in our ministry and in our lives. Uh, I am the pastor of Living Faith in Lee Summit, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Living Faith was planted uh, by Midtown Baptist Temple six years ago. Uh, under the, you know, um, under the, the, the pastoring and guidance of, of Pastor Sam Miles and the leading of the Holy Spirit. What started as a neighborhood Bible study um, in the summer of 2015 uh, quickly grew up to January of 2017. It quickly grew into a, a, a large Bible study. And uh, I've told the story uh, a couple of times in different scenarios, but what started in the summer of, of 2015 quickly grew, and by January of 2017, we were commissioned um, as and sent out as a church. Now, I am under no uh, conviction or thought that I am the most qualified to speak on the topic that we're going to be speaking on this morning. Um, I, I, I realize that there, this, this room alone is full of, of more qualified individuals who could speak on this particular topic. But I would like to share with you how discipleship was implemented in our church. Um, we're, we're a young church. We, you know, I was, I was privileged to, to speak at Pastor uh, Randy's church uh, yesterday, and, and, or I guess, yeah, I think that's yesterday. Uh, and, uh, man, that church is 166 years old. Uh, you know, and I think New Philadelphia, uh, you know, First Baptist is, is like basically the same. Uh, we're six. So in all of my wisdom, you know, let me impart to you all of my great knowledge, right? Uh, but but I, I do want to share with you how discipleship was implemented in our new church plant. Uh, for some in this room, you may be feeling the call to church planting yourself, to, to plant churches. Um, I pray this, this time that we're here together, this, this session is beneficial to you. Uh, but maybe you're not a church plant. Maybe you're like what I just said. Maybe you're an established church and, and you've been pastoring for years or, or you've been in ministry for years. Maybe your church is, is uh, a model church in your community. Um, man, I pray that, that even if that's the case, that, that this time can be refreshing to you, maybe a reminder as well. Uh, for some in this room, maybe you are a part of a mature church, but but you are seeing the need right now, or, or maybe some of the things that Pastor Troy has said, or, 
or uh, even uh, Brandon as well ha- have, has alluded to, maybe you're seeing the need to become a church that, that prioritizes discipleship or maybe reprioritizes discipleship. Maybe there's, there's an opportunity as God has been speaking to you over the last couple of days uh, you know, for you to think, man, are there things that I'm not seeing? Are there areas in my life that, that, uh, and in my leadership that I might be missing? And so I pray that today is a help. Let's pray, if you can, uh, with me. Pray for me. Pray for one another so that this is a profitable time, okay? Father, we thank you for today. I, I thank you for what has already been said and communicated through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, Lord, there are, uh, there's two options. Um, there's a a line of demarcation, if you will. There's, we, can, we can go down one path or the other uh, as we just learned that there, there, there's a, a divided house at, uh, in, in most churches. And, and so, God, we want to be unified under your mission. We want to be um, focused on what you intend. And, and uh, Lord, we want to be um, about your call, your, your word, your will, your way. And so, Lord, be with us today, be with us in this time. Please speak through me and give us ears to hear your word. We love you, Lord. Amen. Okay, let's get right to it. Hopefully you have notes. I I think, does everyone have notes in here? Yeah, grabbed them. Okay, let's get right to it. Here is key point number one. Key point number one, the genesis of an evangelistic and discipleship work begins by reproducing in others what God has already produced in you. The beginning of any evangelistic or discipleship work, let's not even use the word church plant, let's not even use any kind of fancy terms about it. If, if you are desiring to start any type of work that involves evangelism, discipleship, and missions... It is going to begin in this simple way. You are going to be called to reproduce in others what God has already produced in you. Don't make it complicated. There's no no need to make it complicated. If you want to be a disciple-making church, it begins by reproducing in others what God has produced in you. And and many of you guys are like, yeah, I I got that. You know, that's understood. But guys, this goes for every member, and I think sometimes we, we truly try to make the discipleship ministry, we, we, we try to make the, uh, the ministry for souls so much more complicated than it really needs to be. It has to start here. What has God done in your life? And you can't manufacture that. You can't make that up. You can't try to be what another pastor's been. You can't just quote a guy because that was a fantastic quote and then all of a sudden that becomes the reality of your life. You can't read a book, Bible or other commentary or whatever and then all of a sudden just assume that, that his great heroics have now become your own because you understand them. You have to live these things out and so you will only reproduce what has been produced in you. You can't reproduce something that hasn't first been produced in you. And so if you want to be a part of some new, exciting, evangelistic, and discipleship work, it has to be present in your own life as well. Brandon closed this, this, this first session speaking of, of the weaknesses of all of us. And I'm telling you, nothing is, is more obvious to me than my own weaknesses. 
and, and, and I'm fully aware of the things that are, that are keeping even my church from where they could be because certain things haven't been, what, produced in me, and I am then unable to then reproduce it in others. And so, listen, you can teach things all day long, and you can know material, and you can know the book, but at the end of the day, and this is why I want to start right out of the chute with this, a statement that might be actually pretty obvious is many times I don't think we as, as pastors, ministry leaders, disciplers, I don't think that, that we, we, we fully understand that, that you will only be able to reproduce in others what God has produced in you. And it has little to do with mental ascent. It has to do with, with an activity, a life lived. And so I want us to, to begin with that understanding that, you know, we go to good churches that are, are teaching churches. And, and, and you know, we're, we're so blessed with, with what I believe to be good, solid, biblical teaching to where, and our pastors are not trying to get people to just believe them and, and you know, listen to them. We, we, we encourage our people to study the Bible on your own, to, to do the work of the Berean, right? And so... I believe that we go to these, these great churches that teach the word, but I think sometimes we, we believe that because it's been taught and maybe even we've, we've caught it intellectually, that then we have the ability to continue teaching it to others and you haven't lived it. And I haven't lived it sometimes. 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So when we're thinking about beginning new works, whether that's a church plant or beginning a new work in a disciple, whether we want to think macro scale and, and, and maybe some of our churches are at that place where, where you are actively considering how God would use you to plant new works, well, that's one thing, and that's, that's a big work, and it's complicated, and it's beautiful. But so is the beauty of discipling one soul. And yet, I will tell you this, you know, and we're all in line, you know, because we're not winning souls. We're all in line waiting for the next person who comes to church to disciple. I'm ready to disciple. I'm ready to disciple. I'm ready to teach the next person. So we wait in our discipleship line, our queue. Instead of, instead of winning souls ourselves. We wait in that queue to, to, to be the next, you know, discipler. I'm telling you, you will only keep reproducing who you are at that moment. That's convicting. It's convicting for myself. Another, another thing, though, without being, you know, critical, you know, man, I, I started out of the shoot, right, uh, is, is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There, what has been produced in you was a good thing, right? So on one side, you, you get it that, that if these things aren't true of you, then there's going to be no ability, even if you have an intellectual assent to it, there's going to be no ability for you to then beyond teach it but exemplify it in that other person. But on the flip side, we go to some good churches. We, we, we're part of a good fellowship. And so because of that, because we are a part of that 
good fellowship and there's good teaching even at the conferences and, and on Sunday mornings and, and, and during our midweek services and, and prayer nights and, and, and other activities that, that, that happen throughout the, the year. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to figure it all out again. You got, you got men in your life. Paul, uh, Timothy had Paul in his life and, and Paul says, listen, you just need to continue doing the things that we've taught you. Keep doing it. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, We are called to take heed and continue. 2 Timothy 3.14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. If you were a sent church, right? and I don't know exactly you know, that number in here, that might be low, I don't know, but if you were a sent church, and maybe, maybe you're just thinking, hey, well, I'm, I'm not a sent church, but I want to be sent. But if you were a sent church, then how did they send you? Like, I think sometimes we try to make this discipleship thing so complicated, and, and, and really, we got to go back to it like, okay, what was produced in me? Like, what, what did God do in my life when I was growing in the Lord? When I got, went through discipleship one and discipleship two and, and LFBI and, and, I, and I, was, I was in Bible studies and I was discipling and being discipled and I was mentored and, and I had special time with, with, with this leader. And you don't have to make it up. You don't have to, you don't have to like create some cool testimony. What was produced in you? And so on a, on a larger scale... If, if you were then that, that sent out church, as, as we were, we were sent out of Midtown Baptist Temple, well, one of the easiest things I have to do is, well, how did they send me? What'd they do? What'd they do to send me? What'd they do to send us? Well, the way that we were sent is this way. Wow, so that's what they did? I wonder if that's what I could do. So what was instilled in me? And I think so often, you know, men are trying to prove the guy who sent them. Like, I'm going to prove to you I'm, I'm legit. We, we have some kind of inferiority complex, right? No, what, what was instilled in you? It was a good work. It was a good thing. What was given to you? What great gifts was given to you from the pastors and leaders and, and, and the friends that you had in ministry at your sending church? How did they send you? I'm not saying every, every church does it right. I'm not saying that, that, that your sending church is perfect. What I'm trying to say is, is, is this, is, is, is that the way that you were sent, you could continue to walk in that. You see, this is the beauty of doing church planting the Lord's way. You don't have to be slick. You don't have to read a bunch of, of church planting books. Right? I, I haven't read one church planting book. Like, and, and not, that's not like a, a humble brag. It's just like, number one, I don't have time for that. Uh, but I, I don't care. I don't care about the strategies. I don't care about the this or the that's. You don't have to be in the know of all the church planning strategies. And, and I was talking to Pastor Randy about that the other day. And, you know, you know he, he was mentioning, you know, an individual he knew that, you know, did, did this. And, and sure enough, you know what? Some of those church planning strategies, they work. They get results. But listen, man, I'm not interested in that stuff. And I don't think we are as a group. I think we're interested in, in reproducing what God has produced in us. And so to the contrary, you don't have to spend your time, you know, reading all these commentaries and these books about how to do this and how to, 
you know, this way of, of growing your church and, you know, church growth models. To the contrary, you have been called to continue. You've been called to take heed. You've been called to continue in what you've been taught. Whatever has been given to you, now give that to others. This is 2 Timothy 2.2. There's your church strategy. What, what, what has been given to you? Give that to others. The only requirement needed of a disciple maker in a church plant. I was saying this, this yesterday at, at, at Pleasant Grove in Moulton. The only requirement needed of a disciple maker in a church plant is that you need to be able to reproduce. That's it. The, the only requirement needed of a disciple maker is that you need to be able to reproduce. There must be evidence that you are spiritually mature, which means you have and can raise up spiritual children. The only thing that's necessary, right? and, and, I, and I'm not speaking of a novice, I'm not speaking of, 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 of someone who is, is wet behind the ears, but, but that was what I just said, that you need to be spiritually mature. And that's the requirement. And you're like, well, well, that seems a little simplistic. Listen, listen, when there's a time in it when, a, when a young boy goes through changes, right? And you're going to experience things and feel things. Hey, hey, you know, we have all that, we, we have that talk, that conversation, you know, going through puberty and like, I know, son, you're going through some changes, you know, and, and, and for a girl, the same thing. And, you know, after they go through puberty, and we, we talk about adolescence and we talk about, you know, those awkward teenager years, they are entering into a time where they can, they can do what? And I'm not trying to be crass. Reproduce. They are becoming physically mature. Well, that's what we want in the church. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for you to be slick. Though, man, my shoe is untied, and it's driving me nuts. So give me a second. It's like, this is like error number one of speaking in, in front of people. Now you're, now you're judging me like, is that how he ties his shoe? Okay, here we go. Okay. We're back. I keep walking and I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, tie your stupid shoe. Now, but the one thing that, that we are, are needing is spiritually mature individuals. Individuals who can reproduce in others what was produced in them. I, I don't need know-it-alls. I don't need, need uh, you know, guys who, who have all, all the Bible facts figured out. I, I want individuals in the church who are able to reproduce in others what God has done in them. That, it's a simple thing, that they're spiritually mature. They're able to reproduce. It's what Brandon was talking about, with, with a heart for evangelism. That, that not only do I have, and, and not only can I, but I want to. Now, we have no problem talking about that in a physical way, right? The desire to reproduce, the desire to have that intimacy. Uh, and I'm not speaking in a crass way, but that desire to be with another person. And yet, when we think about spiritual reproduction, what does that require? It requires communion with God. It requires intimacy with God. It requires a desire to be with him, to be with our husband, to be his bride, so that we can bear much fruit, that union with him is what produces that evangelistic spirit, or lack thereof. So it was, it was April of 2017 for us. 
as a church. We had only been a church for three months. We were renting an event space, like a, a wedding and, you know, event space. And they gave us access on Sunday mornings from 8 to noon. And we had a little A-frame, living faith. 8 o'clock, put it out, noon, picked it up. Man, we were a ghost in the town. No one even knew we existed, right? And, and, and you know, we were doing our best to, to you know, evangelize and, 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 and let people know about who we were. And, and, and Bible studies were, were, were already present. We'll talk about that in a second. But, but we had this A-frame, 8 to noon, and, and that's where we were. And, and, and we were a portable church. Uh, and so we were renting the space, but besides that, that Sunday morning opportunity to gather the saints together, to learn of the word of God, to then, uh, you know, commission them and send them back out on a weekly basis, our main form of accountability and spiritual formation outside of Sunday mornings was found in our home Bible studies. It was found in our home Bible studies that were already up and running. And, and you might say, man, you were a church of three months. How did you already have Bible studies up and running? Well, before we were even a church, that's what we did. Before we ever became a church plant, we were a Bible study. That's just, that's just what we did. We studied the Bible together as the body of Christ. That's, that's what we did as, as believers together. And so these Bible studies were a continuation of what we were doing before we became a church, before we became autonomous and sent out from Midtown. We had already built that culture of studying the scriptures together. So in one way, our identity was already wrapped up in Bible discovery. That was the identity of, of who we are as, as a people. And so that continued with us so, so as, and, and I'm speaking now as a church plant and a little bit from a pragmatic standpoint. So this is how we started as a church. So studying the scriptures, studying the Bible together outside of Sundays, outside of the Sunday show, right? If I'm wanna be you know, cynical a little bit, outside of all the, the, the glitz and glamor of, of the, the worship experience on a Sunday morning, Studying the Bible outside of that context, for us, it felt normal. It was normal. And guys, and don't miss this. Don't miss this because we as a church plant didn't have the resources to rent a building. We were just renting from 8 to noon an event space. And that was already as expensive as it could be, okay? So we are renting this building. We did not have the resources to even have a midweek service. And so meeting in people's homes was, was not only an interesting notion, it was necessary. <laughs> it, was a, it was a necessary thing. And so for those of you who may be interested in church planting or new works or, or, or meeting in some context of trying to begin an evangelistic or discipleship work, Utilizing the home and, 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 and doing ministry outside of the four walls of this, of this building becomes not only a novel idea, but a necessary one. Now, now for some churches that are sending, you know, you may, and, and you're being sent from a church that, that has resources, maybe you won't be financially limited. Maybe you'll, your church will, will be able to provide, you know, the resources to where you can have 
uh, a pretty strong landing, you have a building and all those things, praise the Lord. I mean that sincerely, praise the Lord. That was not my story, right? And Midtown was very available for us, and, 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 and I'm not speaking poorly on, on, on their side. I'm just saying that, that, that for us, within our context, that wasn't the, the, the way in which we were, we were, we were brought up. We, so we, we didn't have the, the building. We didn't have all those resources. And so working off of, meeting off of the church premises, guys, it was a necessity. And not only was it a, 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 was it a necessity, but it was rewarding. Rewarding to have the Bible open in people's homes. Uh, it was rewarding to open the scriptures in neighborhoods and different parts of the community. So in the new church plant, in the new church plant, as a disciple-making church, you have to be willing to adapt. You have to be willing to adapt. You will not have the resources that were present at your sending church. You just won't. Even if your sending church is, is bankrolling the whole thing. It's like, you know, praise the Lord, cool, okay. But even if your church is doing that, you won't have the resources that mom has. You just won't. You won't have the same resources. You won't have the classrooms, the educational space. So using your home and the homes of your leaders becomes paramount. And guys, I just can't stress this enough. It's a different world when, you, when you're wanting to start a, a new work like that. So this is key point number two. As a disciple maker or as a disciple making church planter, and, and I'm not trying to, to localize the conversation today. I pray that you can understand this in, in all regard. But you have to come to the place where you believe an open Bible is enough for God to grow his church. It sounds really flowery. It sounds romantic. It sounds, you know, like, man, every one of us would be like, yes, yes. But the reality is, is that for most of us, we struggle with that. We struggle with that. We have to come to the place, and I believe that the ministry does that for us if we do it properly, that the ministry will, if, if done properly, it will knock away all of the things that are, that are flowery and unnecessary, um, that aren't really bringing you know, God glory or are challenging us in ways. But we have to come to the place that the ministry that God has given us, that, that, that the, only, the only option we have is, man, I just need to, I need to have an open Bible. An, oh, I, I got to believe that an open Bible is enough for God to grow his church. Isaiah 55, 11, it says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We got to believe in that book. John six sixty three, It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Guys, we know these things. But I do believe, especially when resources are available, when buildings are available, when people are available, when talent is available, skills, like Brandon was saying, when all of these things are available, it's easy for us to put our reliances, and it's easy to put our, our trust in 
those things. And all of us would do what? All of us would say, I just read you a key point. You have to come to the place where you believe an open Bible is enough for God to grow his church, and the church says, amen. And man, a lot of us are actually lying. We're not being honest, because the moment, the moment this building wasn't available, the moment uh, you know, the resources weren't available, many of us, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you, we'd be fretting. What, what, what happens when all of a sudden all you got is, well, I, I got the roof over my head. We, we got these believers that are gathering together who, who love the Lord and we want to share the gospel with others. Um, God's provided food and shelter. I got my health. Is that enough? Is that enough to grow his church, to submit to him? It's got to be. It's got to be. We got to get to that place. What happens when we don't have the building, the marketing, the resources? What happens when you don't have the, the energy of a vibrant community that supports you? I grew up in, in, in a, a, what I believe is a, a very strong church at the time, and, and, and then my wife and I, we, we went to, uh, I went to graduate school, and so, so I, I was gone for about three years. And, and I was very involved. Went through shepherd school, which was kind of the equivalent to LFBI at the time. And, and uh, I was leading Bible studies. I was splitting Bible studies. You know, we were growing. I was discipling. I was counseling. I was pretty involved in the ministry. And I literally thought this when I was, when, when, when me and my wife were, were heading out to graduate school. Uh, I was asking the Lord, God, am I going to Am I going to love you the same that I loved you here in the confines of this great mature church, of this great people? Am I still going to love you? Am I still going to serve you? Am I still going to want to chase after you hard if all the pleasantries and if all the cheerleaders that support you are gone? It was a real, I, I, and, and in my heart, I, I, I didn't believe that that, that that was the case, that I was going to you know, not serve the Lord, but it was a real thought. Because for the first time, I was cognizant of the fact that I've been so blessed. I've been blessed with this great group of, 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 of believers and, and this solid church and mature church and, and uh, all of these things that supported me. Am I still going to chase after you, God, when all of those things are gone? There's a real thought in my heart, in my mind. And so what do you do when the building's gone? What do you do when the marketing and the resources are gone? What, what do you do when, when, and listen, with a church plant, and if you're trying to, dis, to, to begin a discipleship work in a church plant, I am telling you right now that the energy of a vibrant community, there'll be days it's not there, and you'll be alone, and even your own team uh, will not be on your side. Is God and his word enough? Every potential member, not, not leader of a church plant, everyone who is considering joining your church will have to ask this question. And you will quickly see what their must-haves are. Listen, in our early days, when, when there'd be families that would come in, they'd hear about us, and they'd bring their, their three kids, and, they, and, and they'd see our children's ministry was about four kids, and they wouldn't be back. When, when, when the, the praise 
when the worship team consists of the pastor singing, and he's just trying his best to even learn how to play an acoustic guitar, and, and, and you come in, and you're thinking, Phew, this is not what I came from. <laughs> this, is, this is not what I'm used to. And yet that pastor, with all of his heart, is worshiping the Lord, and he is, he's wanting to lead the, the body of Christ He's wanting, he's wanting a new and evangelistic and discipleship work to begin. I'm telling you, every single potential member that walks through that door, they're going to ask that question. And for many of them, they're going to walk out. We've got to ask those same questions. This is, this is key point number three. All the creature comforts of the established church can sometimes blind us to what is essential for the church. Now, am I making fun of, or am I, it's just like, Dan, you're just jealous. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. <laughs> Confess your weaknesses, I'm doing it right now. I think we deceive ourselves. And, and as Americans, we love our creature comforts. We love them. And I'm telling you guys, <clears throat> all of the creature comforts, everything that an established church has, is that a bad thing that an established church has those things? No. It's a great thing. You know, you know what it means? It means that the house has been run well. It means that the under-shepherd has been doing a good job of managing the resources of God's people, of God's money, and now there's resources that are available, and we're not trying to be a tractional model, but we're, 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 we have things like a children's ministry and a children's director, and we have rooms that are, that are facilitating growth for their level. Maybe you got a gym or something like that, and all these resources that are available so that the ministry can do more things and do... We, you know, does the, does the church planner get frustrated? No. And I celebrate that. That's exciting. And I, and I believe established mature churches are the model. I think it's a model for us to, to consider. But when the creature comforts of the established church begin to rob us of understanding what's necessary, what's essential for the church, then I'm telling you, we're, we're getting to be in a place of, 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 of concern. Because what happens if you do want to be that church that starts sending? Well, now the guy's looking back and like, we don't have anything like this. And so just like kids, we're wanting everything that mom and dad have, and it took them 30 years to get it. And so it's the same thing. The creature comforts of the established church can sometimes blind us to what is essential for the church. When all niceties are taken away, what remains? Is it a hunger for his word? Is there a desire to know and worship God? Is there a love for the body of Christ? You see, when the, when the robust ministry is stripped bare of its facade, when the, when the robust ministry, when, when there's so much stuff happening and you walk in and you're just, your head's spinning, this is amazing. When all of it's stripped of its facade, I'm telling you, only then can we actually see for real whether God and his word are enough. 
when, when all of it's stripped away, when we, and when we see the, the essential nature of it, is it this book and, and is it the souls of men? Psalm 147, 10 and 11. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. So if we can, let's go back to, to April of 2017 again. As a church, we had our Sunday mornings and we had our Bible studies, our, our home Bible studies like I was telling you about. But we were seeing at, at the time that it, that it was time to introduce the philosophy of discipleship to our people. And so after a, a Sunday morning service, we invited the church to our house, right? Because we were using our house and because we got kicked out, actually, uh, of the building. Uh, so we invited the church to our house to introduce biblical discipleship. So my wife and I, we, we, we fed everyone, and, and then I spoke on some foundational aspects of discipleship in the believer's life. And so I want to get somewhat practical. In some ways, this is foundational, and, and so I, I apologize if this is going to sound like the foundation track, but, but I want to be clear with, with, well, how did we start a discipleship ministry? How did it get started in a church plant? Well, I already started you off with key point number one reproducing in others what was already produced in us. How, how did your sending church send you? And that, that sentiment remains. And so I, I'm beginning to, to discuss these things with, we had about 25 people in my house, and, and, and many of them were not of the launch team. These were people that were just genuinely, in, generally interested in what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and this may seem basic to, to start with this, but I, wanna, I want you to know this, that, that when people are, are, are joining your church, church plan or otherwise, you can't assume that they know these things. You can't assume that they know the, the foundations of discipleship. You just can't assume that. And I'll go one step further, and this may sound uh, condescending. You can't even assume that your launch team knows these things. That sounds really bad. It might sound arrogant or, or like I'm, you know, as the pastor, I'm looking down on all of you, and you don't know what I know about discipleship. I'm not trying to be that guy. But what I have learned, I'm just telling you, what I've learned, and I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm assuming that there's probably other guys that would say the same, is that you can't even assume that the guys who came with you understand discipleship in the way that discipleship should be lived out. You, got, you have to start that way, and this is key point number four. One of the worst dangers of a pastor is to assume the people of your church know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right? You know? And I was like, amen, brother. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm just trying to stay really practical. This is not a, a, a deep study by any means, but I, I'm just sharing you my uh, convictions, what, what has been my experience as a church planner in the process of trying to implement a discipleship ministry in, in a, a young work is that one of the worst dangers of a pastor is assuming that the people of your church and even the leadership of your church know what you're talking about. So, so listen, at this very first meeting, you, you want to know what I started with? What is a disciple? We, we start, I mean, foundational. In the New Testament, 
what you have is, is the phrase, my disciples, appears in six primary passages that show us four active things of what a disciple of Jesus should be doing, who they should be as a person. There are six passages of the phrase, my disciples, in, in, your, in your New Testament. And they show us four active things that are present in the disciple's life. Uh, this is not something that, that the believer in Jesus Christ is just considering. This is not just what they believe, but this is what they should actively be doing. As disciples, we are to abide in Christ, continue in his word, love one another, and bear much fruit. Those are the four attributes that you find from the New Testament when you look up the phrase, my disciples. And they're found in those passages that were listed in your handout. Out of these four directives, this is where Living Faith's mission statement came from. As, as we were praying over, uh, over the scriptures and considering how God would, would work in, in our church, as I was spending time with God, and, and one of the things that I just wanted, I said, God, I just want disciples. I want our church to be full of, of disciples and disciple makers. And so I looked up my disciples. <laughs> I just did that. And, and then we find this very simple outline that God gives us, which kind of sounds like the four goals of discipleship. This is Living Faith's mission statement. It says, we are to make disciples who will abide in Christ, be established in his word, love one another, and bear much fruit. And that, that, was, that was us. And, and, you know, you guys got your mission statement, all that, and I'm not trying to get you guys to, to change it to ours. Lord knows that'd be foolish. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what we're doing. But that's what God showed me. And, I, and, I, and, and so we, we broke it down to that fundamental level. And you're, you're like, Dan, why are you talking about mission statement? Because I wanted to know at the very beginning, I wanted the church to know, I wanted anyone who was interested in discipleship to know that discipleship has everything to do with the mission of the church. Discipleship was not another thing that we were doing. And so from the very beginning of the church plant, when we were first introducing discipleship, when discipleship was just beginning as a, as a formal ministry, if you want to call it that, at Living Faith, it was important for our people to think of discipleship not as simply one of the things that we do as a church, but the thing we do as a church. This is key point number five. Discipleship cannot be one of the things we do. Discipleship cannot be one of the things that we do as a church. It has to be the thing we do. It has to be the thing we do. It is at the center of God's great commission for the church in Matthew 28. In that, even evangelism and missions are held by the hands of discipleship. Discipleship is at the center of God's great commission. And, and, and once again, I, I, I know how you're thinking. What about evangelism? What about missions? Discipleship is the one that holds those together. And so discipleship has to be the one thing we do because if you're making disciples, you're making evangelists. And if you're making disciples, you're making people who, who are in that book and they're saying, man, I heard something about the uttermost. Discipleship. 
Simply put, if your ministry activity doesn't point back to discipleship, if it doesn't point back to discipleship, then you need to consider what type of investment you're making. We then go on. We talked about the definition of discipleship. We defined what discipleship is. We, we talked about a disciple. And I, again, this is foundational, but I do believe that this is important for you. If you're considering church planting or if you're even considering discipling, you want to start here. Hey, I got to tell you what a disciple is. And I got to tell you what discipleship is. I want you to know what this is, and I want you to know why this is the core and critical thing that we do as a church. You want to talk about what discipleship is early and often. Early and often. And while I know, listen, this, this room, you've heard this before. You have to know. You have to know and you're a knower that your church has not. You're like, no, I, I, I'm teaching the church. They, 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 they know this. You just have to get it in your head that they don't. And I know that sounds, again, it sounds condescending, but I'm telling you, if you are consistently bringing new people in that door, then you have to consider as a pastor and as an under-shepherd of the people of God that there are going to be people entering into this room, this space, on a weekly basis who don't know what a disciple is, who don't know what discipleship is. And so for the sake of those souls, you need to continue giving that word. You need to keep introducing it. Because then there's going to be people that like, oh, I know that pastor, yet you're not living it. So you need the reminder. That's what Peter said. Let me put you in remembrance of these things. And so you've got to know, you must know that your church doesn't know even when they say they do. That's part of your role. This will be new to them. And guys, I'll tell you, most Christians have heard of the term discipleship. They know the term. They know discipleship. They've used the term, but for most of them, discipleship is a class. Discipleship's a class. It's an app on their phone. Hey, I just, I just bought this new, new app, uh, you know, and it's a discipleship app, and it's so good. Who's teaching you? Huh? Who's mentoring you? Who are you following? Um, the daily lesson? <laughs> so, so we, our churches, and, and I'm not speaking of ours, but the American church, and discipleship's a class. It's a booklet. It's an app on your phone. It's something you buy. It's a program. Right? We, we use all these terms, and, and I want to tell you that, that it, it, it's none of those things. And typically, when, when people use the term discipleship, what they're actually referring to is a, a knowledge of doctrine more than a transformation by doctrine. When, when we think of discipleship, in, in a lot of regards, we, we attribute it to doctrine, which I think is absolutely critical, but we attribute it to knowledge of rather than transformation by. So what I did when, when we were planting the church and, and what I continue to do is I explicitly share the fundamentals. We define a, a disciple as a learner, a student, a follower of Jesus. And so because, I, I say, well, because of this, that means a disciple, if, if they're a student, a learner, a follower of Jesus, that means you need a teacher. 
And so discipleship is a student-teacher basis, as evidenced in the life of Christ and Paul. Discipleship is the transfer of life, not simply the transfer of knowledge. It's not a program. It's a process. It's not a Bible study. It's transformation in Christ. Listen, I can do all the Bible studies I want. You can go to all the Bible studies. We're having a Bible study right now. <laughs> you, you can go to Bible studies. That does not mean that discipleship is happening in your life. There needs to be a transformation in you. There needs to be a transformation of Christ being placed in you. And guys, this is something I reiterate all the time. Discipleship just can't be introduced at a luncheon at the pastor's house. It needs to become the steady drum by which we get our beat. It becomes the drum that we continue to beat. Because at the moment you stop beating that drum is the moment your church is going to get old and die. Discipleship must become that steady drum. It is the bedrock by which our foundation is built. And you're like, I don't know, Dan. Uh, isn't that Jesus Christ? Yeah, because we're always making disciples of him. And if your discipleship doesn't have to do with the worship of God, then I don't know what your discipleship is. So then, so then yes, I go back and I double down on that statement. That discipleship must be the bedrock of your local church. And so just like we stated, discipleship is a process. And for the church plant, listen, it's usually a slow one. It's usually a slow process. Everything goes slower than you thought it would. <laughs> Everything does. Everything that you did at the mature church that you were a part of, and man, everything was working. And so I have a disciple, and I'm, I'm training them in the word of God, and, and uh, they're growing. You want to know why they're growing so fast? Because you're such an amazing disciple maker. They got 50 other people who are saying the same thing as you. They got the senior pastor, they got the fellowship pastor, they got you the disciple maker, they got their small group, they got the next guy that they just love hanging out with because he's such a cool dude, they got, their, they, they got this other small group that they don't go to, but man, this guy's a good leader. They're in LFBI, you see what I'm saying? In the mature church, there's so many touch points, and growth can, can happen, how? Quickly, right? It can happen so quickly for us. When you're a part of a church plant, I think my other shoe is now starting to untie. I need to start double knotting my shoes. What's going on here? You see how easily I can be distracted? Like, when you're part of a church plant, though, I'm telling you, you don't have all of those resources. When I say resources, I mean people. And you don't have everyone saying, yep, amen, I agree, this is truth, verily, verily. You don't have that. You don't have everyone agreeing with you. In fact, for the first six months of my church plant, I, I've, I've said this before, I felt like a guest speaker. People were coming in, I'm like, I don't know any of you guys. <laughs> and I think they knew I was a guest speaker. Like, I don't know about you. And so it's a slow process. It, it's, it, it's not easy. And it's important that we guide the disciples in this process. Because if you don't, you may end up with frustrated disciples 
and frustrated disciple makers. If you don't let the people of God in your church, especially your leadership team that went with you, if you don't let them know, hey guys, it's going to be slower. It's going to take longer. I just want you to know that. All of a sudden, when they start taking someone through discipleship, what are they going to go? Oh, they didn't want it. They didn't want it. I'm looking for a faithful man. Guys, I, I, I get that statement. You weren't faithful. And neither was I. I'm just looking for a faithful man to disciple. I get it. But man, have some, have some freaking grace. <laughs> like, like, come on. Where, where were you? How long did it take you? You know, and, and I'm just telling you guys, uh, I'm, just, I'm just wanting to invest in a faithful man, you know, because I'm faithful. Uh, I'm just looking for, you know, just a really godly man, because, you know, me, I am too. It's like, man, just have some grace on people. And in the, the discipleship process, and, and here's the thing, though, because everything was just zinging, man, and, and, and I hope you know what my position is on the established church. It's, it's, it's blessed, and it's the model, okay? But I'm telling you, when you are sent from that place, and you're now working in hard ground, you got to know that the process is just going to take longer. And if you have expectations for new believers that are beyond where they're at, you may end up causing more harm to them than good. The process is going to go a little slower. And if you don't realize that, and if you are not articulating that to the leaders of your church and even the disciples that are coming along, you're going to have frustrated disciples and frustrated disciple makers. Biblically speaking, we see that discipleship has three phases. Come and see, follow me, and go and do likewise. You see that in the Bible with the disciples, that there are these three phases that are present. This is a healthy reminder. This is a healthy reminder for us as a church. It's a healthy reminder for our new disciples, but also for our disciple makers, the mentors that are present. And, and, and I say this because if our mentors don't have right expectations for the new believers, we may end up causing them harm. Listen, listen. If you are trying to get a new believer of your church to go and do likewise before they have ever simply seen Jesus, come and see. Come and see a man. If you're trying to get them to go and do likewise before they've ever just witnessed him, seen him before they've learned to walk with Jesus if you're trying to get them to go and do likewise before they've experienced just the awe and the enlightenment of seeing him and you're going to cause some problems you are you see we have these these high expectations right out of the gate and we forget so many times that the four goals are goals and they're not prerequisites we, we, we set up all these criteria that were even too great for you. Sounds like a Pharisee thing to do. We set up these, this criteria for people, and we have these expectations, which took you 10 years to get to. But now, because you're their teacher, they should be expected to do it right away. Go and do likewise. And here's the thing. They'll do it without knowing him. And so now the work of the ministry becomes more important than the person of the ministry. It becomes more important to the God of the ministry. It becomes more important than a personal relationship with him. And here's the thing. Come and see Jesus is not walking with Jesus. It's just standing in front of him. Wow. 
You've changed my whole life. Yeah, he has. There needs to be a season where you're just experiencing that moment to where we're not pushing them into ministry right away. Come and see. And then follow me. Walk with me. And we want people to learn how to walk with him so that after they've walked with him and learned of his ways, and you should go and do likewise. Okay. How could I not? But here's the deal. If go and do likewise is the first thing, it's easy for a person to get burnt out. It's easy for a person to stop what they're doing. But if you come and see, and you tasted, and you walked, now the go and do likewise, well, you can't get me to stop. What else am I going to, my bones are on fire. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Guys, you will learn this, especially in a new work, in a church plant, where there are so many needs. There are so many needs. And you're tempted to put unproven people in places of service. But you must resist this urge at all costs. It is, if it is clear that they are still learning to simply see Jesus, if they're, if they're just now in, in that illumination phase, if they're still that babe in Christ, you must resist the urge, even if you have so many needs. God is the one who will stand with you. He'll support the work. And if it falls apart, it falls apart. But it's not going to fall apart because I'm putting an unproven person in a place of leadership or a place of service, which is then going to jeopardize their spiritual walk for the rest of their life, potentially. We create these problems in people, and, and, and then these people are, are, are so built to works and works and works, even though they know that they were saved by by the grace of God and their faith in that grace, they keep going back to works. I wonder why. We have to resist this urge in people. I can say this firsthand. Of the times that I have used people who have not been ready, it has typically had a lasting and damaging effect on them. And that's my responsibility. And I'm accountable for that. In this we had to learn that discipleship was just going to take longer outside the confines of the mature and established church. When the ground is tilled and watered and, and, and on a regular basis, and you have multiple workers in the field tending to the field, when that's happening, guys, it's easy to see results. But when you're the only one tilling the ground, at times the results can seem disappointing. And you'll start to see some growth, and you're like, man, you're so hopeful. And then you look over, and you see this established work, and, you know, the corn's already knee high, right? It's already shoulder high, and you're going, come on, baby. Come on. I'm with you. I believe in you. And it's that, it's that one soul that you're just so hopeful that they're going to follow the Lord. It's easy to be discouraged. It can be disappointing. But listen, you're breaking up some, good, some, some hard ground. After years of effort, the ground will soften, and you'll begin to see the evidence of your investment. So if we continue, man, I started talking about the four goals. I started talking with, these, with this new group of people in my church, and, and we talk about it all the time. We talk about the four goals. And I'm telling you, there's been times, and I feel like I talk about it ad nauseum, and I'll have disciplers who are going through the lessons, and I'm like, well, 
how, how, how often do you mention the four goals? Like, poof, yeah, it's been a minute. I'm thinking, come on, bro. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I probably need to, I probably need to focus on that more. Yeah, you should. Th- this is why I'm saying that, that your people don't always know what they think they know and why you need to not assume that they know what they say they know. Which is why I got to say, even in an alumni track, we cannot forget the four goals. We got to keep holding on to that. Guys, this might be the most obvious thing I say to you today, but if we don't establish, and maybe you don't use four goals, maybe it's three goals, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, another way, but I think you, you guys understand the sentiment, right, of what I'm saying? If you don't establish the, the, the four goals of discipleship, as the foundation, the bedrock, if you don't establish the four goals as the foundation for discipleship, discipleship will become 18 lessons. Discipleship will become about scripture memorization. Is it good to memorize scripture? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, that will be the end of the conversation. How's discipleship going? Oh, we're on lesson 15. And I hear that. I even say that myself. But lesson 15 doesn't matter. (laughs) It just doesn't matter. They're memorizing all the verses. That's a good thing. But it can't just be that it's some type of Sunday school memorization hour. So if, if you are not laying as the foundation, not now, but I'm talking at the beginning of the work, if it's not clear to everyone Listen, these lessons are great, but it is about the four goals of discipleship being, being provided and established in the believer's life. It will become about the 18 lessons. It will become about scripture memorization. It will be about answering the questions at the end of the lesson. And you will miss out on the real treasure of seeing a transformed life. You'll miss out, and they'll miss out, and your church will miss out. Listen. I don't care if our people finish the lessons or not. <laughs> not invited back. Right? I don't care if, I, I don't care if our, our people finish the lessons or not. And I'm speaking that from a context of sometimes I have disciple makers who, who are feeling that the, the disciple is not fully following. They're like, hey, I think we need to stop. And a lot of times I'm like, man, don't stop. <laughs> You're their lifeline. <laughs> Right Now what they're showing you though, and, and, what, and, and what the disciple maker says, well, I don't want them to think that because we finished the lessons that, that they've done discipleship. I'm saying, they won't. They won't. Because you'll tell them that. <laughs> hey, listen, we've walked through this, this biblical study on the, the foundations of our faith, on the tenets of our faith, but I want to let you know right now that I don't see the four goals established in your life. And so at this point in, 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 in our time together, we're going to keep meeting. We're, we're going to finish this up. Maybe we'll come back on some of these things. But I want it to be really clear to you that I don't know if I'm seeing you as a disciple of Jesus Christ right now. I don't want them to think that, they're, that because they finished the lessons that they've been discipled. They won't. Or I should say, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Because you're in their life, and because the foundation are the four goals, and you are consistently reminding them 
that discipleship is not about a lesson, but it's about these goals being established in their life. Are they a worshiper of God? Are they established in the word of God? Are they established in the local church? And they are, a part, and are they a part of the work? That's all I'm looking for. I'm willing to go through all of these lessons. This is why the discipleship books that we create, if you wanted to use a different one, knock yourself out. It's just a tool. We don't have some propriety over the best, this is the best way to make disciples. Well, that's arrogant if that's the case. This is a tool. It's a good one because I think that the, 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 the booklet that we have and we provide for people, it creates repeatability. And listen, I think it, in the local church, it's healthy for us to have repeatability. And we don't want guys just yahoos doing their own thing here and there. We want to create some repeatability. Uh, we, want, we want to continue in the things that you've been taught and learned. And so we want that process to continue. There's value in that. But I'm, I'm being honest with you guys. I don't care if our people finish the lessons or not. Do all the lessons you want. Knock yourself out. The lessons are, are, they're a great tool, but they're not the gauge. The real gauge of a disciple is whether the goals are being implemented in their lives. And the disciple maker should be making this clear as you meet on a regular basis. The lessons aren't, aren't the goal. Again, the lessons, they can point, they can point to a transformed life, but it is the choice of the disciple as to whether they will actually live out the transformed life. This is key point number six. The proof of discipleship is found in the presence of the four goals. The proof of discipleship is found in the presence of the four goals. Now I want to get to some closing thoughts real quickly. And, and, and I have and the next section is called the four T's and we're going to wrap it up. The four T's is something that, that was taught to me, uh, man, at... Uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple, even before Midtown Baptist Temple was planted, and, and Pastor Sam Miles, uh, as, as he was walking many of us through the discipleship process and teaching us how to be disciple makers, uh, this, this, these four T's were brought up. I think I changed maybe the order of three and four, but, but I believe these four T's, if you look beyond the four goals, I think these four T's that are going to be brought up they provide for you, they provide for the mentor a practical way to where we can objectively measure the goals. Have you guys ever looked at that? Whenever you talk about goals, what's the next conversation? It's the objectives to meet those goals. And so the four T's, for me at least, they offer for us as disciple makers um, the, the objectives by which the goals can be met. Number one is teaching the disciple teaching the disciple. This is paramount. You must be a person who's willing to teach the word of God to your disciple. You need to show them the word. Demonstrate how God's word is active in your life. How has your life been transformed? A simple question to ask at this, at this level is, do you understand what's been taught? I know this sounds like a how-to right now, a how-to disciple uh, session and, and discipleship two or what have you, but 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 as we are trying to establish a discipleship work, it's good for us to, to pare it down to just some simple things. And I ask this question all the time with the guys I'm discipling. Hey, hey, does this make sense to you? Can you explain this back to me, what was just taught? Do you understand what, what was just said from the scriptures? Number two, training. 
We must train the disciple. We need to provide tangible examples of ministry involvement. A simple question to ask at this stage is, is not only do you understand, but do you know how to apply this? Do you know how to walk this out in your life? Can you, could you tell me how you would walk this out in your own life? Number three is teaming. And sometimes people put tasking and then teaming, but, but the way I, I'm looking at it right now is teaming. You want to team with your disciple. I want to ask the disciple to, to help me serve. Hey, can you join me? I've taught you. I'm training you. But now I'm, can you join me in this? I, I need your help. Just like, like Pastor Troy was saying, right? I, I need your help in this area. You begin to identify the areas of their gifting. A simple question to ask at this is, how can we partner together? This is discipleship. Number four, tasking the disciple. Invite the disciple into the ministry. Give them something to do. Look for ways to introduce them in ways to serve the body. Introduce them to other leaders in the church. Provide instruction on what their responsibility is as a disciple. The question to ask would be, what are you going to do now? Knowing what you know about the word of God, knowing what you know about your responsibility as a disciple and as a disciple maker, what are you going to do? And lastly, guys, I just want to say, please understand this. That the real disciple-making church is not only a church that makes disciples, but it is a church that is making disciples who are making disciples. And I want to tell you right now that, that for many of us, we want to call ourselves disciple-making disciple churches, uh, me included, me included. I'm not coming, like, looking down like, I know, I know what it's in your heart. I'm talking about myself now. We want to call ourselves a disciple-making church, but the evidence of that is not that I've made a disciple. The evidence is that the person that I've discipled is making disciples. Why? Because it's generational. It's generational. The true estimation of discipleship is that it continues. I would argue that the true estimation of discipleship is not only that we're a, a church that is making disciples who are making disciples, I would say the true estimation of whether your church is a disciple-making church is that if you are a church that is making pastors who makes pastors. Now, that's a whole other conversation. Instead of bringing pastors in, are you establishing not only disciples, but small group leaders, ministry fellowships, Sunday school leaders, deacons, teaching elders? Are you in your church establishing pastors? I believe that's actually the true estimation of whether or not we are disciple-making churches. And listen, guys, this is going to take time. For, for some of us, I'm talking decades. And that's not like, oh, man, that's, that's horrible. No, it's great. It's great. But it's going to take decades. It's going to take time. Are you willing to be a disciple-making church? For discipleship to be viewed as successful, there must be some form of generational transformation. There has to be some form of generational transformation. It, that, that's 2 Timothy 2 2. We, we, all, we all like to say, oh, I discipled this guy and he discipled the next guy. No, I'm, I'm and that's, that's cool and all, and I, and I believe all that, and that's great. But I'm talking about there needs to be generations. We need, we need to see a continuation in the church of generational transformation. Not that you took someone through the lessons. Here's some closing thoughts uh, to, to send you on your way. Number one, it's going to take time to establish 
the right DNA. Be patient. Never stop repeating the mission and vision of discipleship. You just can't. Discipleship requires spiritual maturity and depth. I'm talking, you, you need a bench. You can't just have five starters, right? You need a good bench, and that takes time as well. Uh, number four, this is a warning. There will be people who say they are on your team who are not really on your team. And they're, they're going to be with you talking about discipleship until uh, the, the last breath, until you set them down. <laughs> and you got to be aware of that. And I'm telling you, especially with a church plant, because you're so desperate. <laughs> you're so desperate for help. You're just looking for help, and then you realize, oh, wow, I'm in a snake pit. <laughs> and I didn't know it. Number five, your disciple makers must have a working knowledge of the KJV. Which brings us back up to point one. It's going to take time to establish the right DNA. You see, the thing is, we don't think about those things, and then we disciple someone. We walk them through the lessons. They're even established, and then we're like, go and do likewise. And then they're coming back to you and like, I actually don't know anything about this. <laughs> I have no idea how to even have a conversation. Our, our, our type of church, it means there's going to be a little bit more of a deep dive. We're going to have to spend some more time on it. Let me give you one last closing statement. You will always be what you've been unless you change what you're doing from what you've done. If you want to be a disciple-making church and you know right now that it's not a reality, then it means that you're going to have to make some changes. You can't keep doing what you're doing, holding services and expect a thriving discipleship ministry to form. It's going to take effort. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take consecration on your part to reproduce in others what God has produced in you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I ask that you would use this time and the rest of our time together. Uh, God, that you would use it, but that you would anoint it, that your Holy Spirit would be present. I pray for Pastor Troy tonight that you would just, man, supernaturally use him and guide him. Uh, make tonight just a, a night of remembrance for all of us. God, to you alone be the glory. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.